Hi, you're listening to the Reinvention Podcast. I'm Aaron Anderson, and I'm here with my lovely ho-host. <laughs> <laughs> this is better. I like Accurate. this one. Yeah, Accurate. And that's what we're going to use. We're going to start with that one. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to the Reinvention Podcast. I'm Aaron Anderson, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Tara Cortland. Hey, you got it right this time. Uh, and we're here with our lovely guest, Micah Edwards. I was almost a host. You were almost <laughs> a host. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having if me. If you guys want to host it, I'll be the guest. You That's could. Fine too. You could. Yeah. What I want to talk to you about. Uh, you are, you work in computers. Correct. You are also a professional improviser. Also correct. And a professional author. Mostly correct. I'm, you're you're a published author. Yes, that's the one. Okay, English, then computers, then improvisation, then authorship. It's actually it started with computers until I realized I'd gone to William Mary, which was not exactly on the cutting edge of things. So you're always interested in computers. Yeah, I was back when the dot com boom was a thing. I was a webmaster while I was in school. Okay, and I had a great plan to become a webmaster when I got out of school, and the internet had a great plan to have a dot com bubble. Right. And so when I got out of school, there were very few webmaster jobs because I missed my window. So you were interested in computers since you were a kid. I, Absolutely. I actually have, since I since I know Micah's mother very well, I actually have heard the story of Micah having been grounded and forbidden to use computers as a small child <laughs> until they needed him to fix their computer. And so wait, and, wait. And had to unground him from no computers because they couldn't fix the computer. All right. So here's our first mystery, because this is interesting to me. Most people who study English are just dying to study English. And then they get into computers because they realize English has no money. You were interested in computers and then studied English. Why? Because getting a good grade in computers is tough. You've got to <laughs> do all the hard work and it's like very verifiable. If you write your code and it doesn't work, then they can see it doesn't work. If you write a paper and the thesis is no good, you can argue about it until it becomes good. Oh, that's good. That's and I'm great at arguing. So it's, it's, it's really <laughs> math. And like absolute truths. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Why does everybody tell me that you're in the CIA? <laughs> Obviously, it's a joke that I pass around because certainly if I were in the CIA, I wouldn't tell anyone that. Gotcha. But you also, you travel lots of different places and work on things that no one understands. And Correct. So why, why do you think he's in the CIA? He works for some kind of defense contractor. And he does something with computers that he doesn't talk much about. Nobody really understands. And at one point he was shipped to the Middle East for a year. <laughs> so, you know. I was I'm grounded. <laughs> <laughs> but you're definitely not in the CIA. Correct. I'm officially not in the CIA. <laughs> and if you were in the CIA, you would have been told not to admit that you were in the CIA. Correct. If I were in the CIA, I would give you a subtle wink or something to clue you in right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Good. You just winked. By oh, shoot. Just, I, that was... I got something in my eye. So what do, you, what do you do in computers? So these days I'm a database administrator. The right. path has gone, you know, general messing around with computers through strange series of coincidences became a database administrator. Okay. So I am a computer nomad. Yeah, but you, have, but you have what most people in the arts would think of as a real job. Yes. Then why improvisation? It's a very good question, <laughs> and I don't have a very good answer to it. The, the short answer is because years ago, I got really afraid of getting into a rut and never getting out of it. There had been a period of about a month or so where I suddenly realized that I had done the exact same thing every day, that I had gotten up, I had gone to work, I had come home, I had sat on the couch, I had fallen asleep, and I was going to do the same thing possibly for the entire rest of my life. So you're, I, you're telling me that database administrators can fall into a rut? You wouldn't think so. <laughs> and then frankly, if you saw the database I work with, you definitely wouldn't think okay. so. It's, yeah. 
and it was not a thing I cared to do. And so I started just making random changes to my life for the sole purpose of breaking things and seeing how things came back together. For real? Oh, absolutely. So you, so you started experimenting on your life? For several years, I had a thing called Do Something Different Day, which was every Thursday, I would go out and do something I'd never done before to find out what it was like. Really? Yeah, I did it for two years, I think. You got everybody else into it, too. A whole bunch of people did That's, it. Do Something, what was it? Do Something Different Day. Do Something Different Day. Yeah. But you had a conscious thought. I may fall into a rut. I don't want to do that. Do something different. Exactly. How many things did you go through before you hit improv? Improv, I think, wasn't actually one of those. It was just once I, I did do something different day for, I think it was two years. So about a hundred of them. And because it was every week. So what were some of them? Oh, what were gosh. some of the more notable ones? Let's see. Or the stranger ones? Uh, there's one where I decided to teach myself how to do a standing flip which was mainly notable for the number of, I was trying to do it with a camera that just took pictures on a five second timer. Uh -huh. So I was trying to get pictures at my best guess at five seconds while I was hopefully in the air. <sighs> oh, okay. So there's a really great photo set of just, you know, often nothing. Right. Sometimes like an arm. A lot of them of me laying on the ground having missed. <laughs> I did land one by the end. Okay. But, All right. But yeah, just, uh, that was that one. One was just building a house of cards. One was learning Esperanto, which stuck for as well as learning a thing for six hours is going to do. Right. But yeah, I know bits of Esperanto now. And then eventually you found improv. Well, so improv was, the, the entire point of doing something different day was not to do something once a week and not think about it ever again. It was to break the mindset that was, had caused me to fall into a rut in the first place. And so improv was a side, a side effect of that. I'd gone to see comedy sports back when I was in high school. I knew they existed. I randomly wandered across a website ad for them saying, hey, we're having auditions in three months. But you had never done improv as a kid or anything like that. Nope. And I almost chickened out when I got there. I got to the parking lot and I sat in my car and I thought, no one knows I'm here. And if I turned around right now and went home, no one would ever know that I chickened out. But you got up the courage to get out of the car and go into place. Well, what I knew is I would knew. I would always know if I turned around away. And then you just kept at it? Yeah. I routinely keep going at things because there's no good reason to quit. You've been doing improv, and now you teach improv. So it's all in the same thing. Basically, if you keep doing things long enough, then people assume you must know what you're doing. Right. They start asking you questions. Right. Other people see them asking you questions, and they start to believe that you must know what's going on. And, and that's comedy sports here in, yes. in Richmond. And then you are also a published author. Yes. Your first book was a children's book about Edgar Allan Poe, the most obvious children's book topic Correct. of all time. Yeah, that was, it started as a joke, because I once, back in the day of LiveJournal, when I maintained random online nonsense and I would write things there every day. One of the ones on the way to work, I decided that Edgar Allan Poe would do well as a children's story. And so I wrote a 225, rendi no, 225 word rendition of the fall of the house of Usher, which I called Ricky spooky house, <laughs> Ricky spooky house. Yep. And I thought it was very funny. And so did my friends. And then I ignored it for 10 years. And I genuinely don't know why I decided to make it a book. I have, I'm sure if I dug back through my notes, I'd find something that made me think of it. But someday I went, you know what? I bet I could make this a book. But you did it, you did it as a sort of a joke oh, for your friends. Absolutely. And then it sort of just stuck with you that, yeah, this might actually be a so, thing. So fake story. Micah and I actually met when he asked my children to be in the promo video for Ricky Spooky House. It's true. We didn't, we didn't talk for a long time because I couldn't pronounce my name correctly. It was very offensive. They called me Micah Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Mike and I met. For fake. For, for, fake? for fake? For fake. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So you also are in the CIA. That's, those are your, that's your yeah, cover that's story? Yeah, that's my cover story. That's how Mike and I met. Now, it's, it's an illustrated book. Yes. 
Are you an illustrator? I am not remotely. I actually, so there was a Kickstarter for this, as there so often is. And one of the things I put up for a, a stretch goal on the Kickstarter was that I would do my own watercolor illustration to the book so people could see what might have happened if I hadn't <laughs> gotten someone else, if I hadn't gotten money to get someone else to do this. Okay, wait, wait. A Kickstarter, so let's back up. All right. So you've, so you've written a, essentially a, a, a treatment of, the, of it on LiveJournal. Yes. For, for fun. Yes. It eats at you or it's, it's at the back of your mind that maybe this would be a book. And then some, at, at what point did you say, I'm really going to make this a book? Well, so this wasn't, I, I didn't add anything to it. This wasn't, it didn't become a chapter book. This is just, it's a children's book with, there were the full page pictures and large print words. So the 225 words is all 16 pages of this board book. And then, and then you thought I can make this into a book, but it has to be illustrated and that's going to cost money though. Correct. How did you figure out the, so I'm, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the business logic behind this. Logic doesn't enter into this. I, this was a business hobby because it seemed like a very fun idea and I don't mind risking other people's money at all, <laughs> which I think is the major idea behind Kickstarter. Right. Does, does this... Micah had a lot of friends and they were all monetarily interested in, in seeing this happen. So was this just an extension of Do Something Different Day? Everything I've done since I started Do Something Different Day is an extension of Do Something Different Day. So this was, this was, a, this was sort of a, a, an outgrowth where this isn't just building a, a house of cards. This is writing a story about a haunted house of cards that comes crashing down and then taking that to the next level and taking that to the next level. Absolutely. And then, so how many, how many was the first run? Well, there's only been one run because I got, I don't recall, let's say a thousand copies of which about half went to the Kickstarter and the other half I've been slowly selling at conventions and Amazon and, you know, so, so you still have some of these books. Lying I around. absolutely do. I, that was the first book. Yeah, I believe it was. And now, and now you have many. Right. So I've always liked writing and it's why I maintained a live journal for far too long and other things like that. But I, the only thing I like more than writing is not writing. <laughs> I've often said that I have two hobbies, which are writing and avoiding writing. Right. And I'm only ever doing one. And so for every Friday morning for the last half decade, I've been getting up at 5 a.m. to go write another 2,000 words and whatever my current serial is. So you just, you just crank them. You're just like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do this by sheer determination and uh, discipline. Absolutely. I have discipline's a real hard word for anything I do. Habit. I, spite, I think, is close. <laughs> so, okay, probably everyone has had a book that runs through their head, right? I'm going to write a book. One of these days, I'm going to write a book, or, or I want to write a book, or just even on just a one night, you're with somebody and somebody tells you, hey, you should make that into a book. You have this. All the time. All the time. Everybody tells me all the time. Everyone tells you you need to write a book. So yeah. probably everyone has the idea or at least the theory of a book. But you've gone past that woulda, shoulda, coulda aspect into the actual writing them, finishing them, publishing them, and then distributing them? Yes. So, again, most of my stuff is self-published through Amazon. Okay. And what that means is if I wanted to be a marketer, I could absolutely do that. And I would, it's, it's all available online. Anyone could buy it. But no one's going to know about it because Amazon is full of millions of books. And so if I cared, there's a lot I could do to market the books, get, get them noticed, get that out there, but I would have to become a marketer. Mm -hmm. And that's not a job I am in any way interested in. I would rather write books and have no one ever read them than pick up a new side gig as a marketer, even for 10 hours a week, because I would hate that. And it would turn what's a fun hobby 
into a thing I resent. So your distribution network is Amazon. Absolutely. Do you have any other distribution besides Kickstarter and conventions? No, you say conventions. What kind of conventions? So back in the before times, before the pandemic shut everything down, there were, there were nerd cons all over the place. I met my wife when she was living up in New Jersey, and she was performing with a troupe up there that regularly went to a convention called Wicked Fair. By say performed, you mean improv? Or? Oh, no, she was doing burlesque at the time. Okay. And the White Elephant Society is one of the mainstays of the Wicked Fair. So I would go to Wicked Fair every year, and Wicked Fair is full of nerds. Nerds really enjoy board games. They enjoy books. And they enjoyed, this is a lot of steampunk and other, that kind of aesthetic too. But the vendor hall always had large amounts of books and board games on top of everything else, which I always appreciated. And there was one author there, CJ Henderson, who was just, he was always at every Wicked Fair and his entire job was exactly the thing I never wanted to do. He was marketing himself. He wrote the books, but then he was at every convention and he was making a living at his table. Selling, selling Sell, self-published books yep, at conventions. Absolutely. And he was published through a number of, like a lot of this stuff, you end up getting, you get into anthologies with other artists. And so some of them are published under actual publishing houses and some are published on the, under other people's self-publishing imprints. And they're all around various places. But in the end, I've got the rights to sell any of my books. And so if I wanted to, I could start so, hitting those tables. Wait, can you, I, I need, I need more information on this whole nerd culture. Not that I'm not a nerd, but you're looking at me like I have <laughs> yeah, a I think lot you, of yeah. knowledge beyond watching burlesque dancers at well, nerd conventions. Yeah. So tell me what a nerd convention is. Like is there a nerd fest I mean, so there's the cat skills, right? There's the there's 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 whole as a performer or someone in the arts, there's a whole circuit that you can go on. Yes. Yeah. Speaking circuit. It's not as much fun as the nerd circuit. What's the nerds? There's a so So you've got well so so the ones that you would have heard of are like Comic Con, right? Like okay. everyone's heard of Comic Con, Dragon right? Con. Dragon Con, yeah. So stuff like that. So for, for Penzik, okay. right? Like your wife goes to Penzik, right? Right for the um, medieval reenactment, also a nerd convention. Okay, just with tents instead of hotel rooms. And the, you're right? saying that there's a lot of overlap. There's a huge Comic amount of overlap, and... right? There's a huge amount of overlap. So Wicked Fair, yeah. So so his wife is a burlesque dancer and a professional statue. A professional statue, a, a storyteller. storyteller. Yeah, no, she has all a kinds of things. Yeah, long list of credentials. Yeah, and so she would get paid to perform at these things. Where I had no pay idea a this was fee a thing. at the door to go in, and then might also pay additional fees for individual performances and stuff. I have so I, I do stage combat, right? right? Sword fighting and stuff. And there's a whole there are people who make a living going to ren fairs, right? That's they yeah they create an like act that. and they go to ren fairs, right? And there's a subculture of people who go to rent fairs. Yeah, so think like that kind of thing, but with, you know, hotels instead of tents. And there's a whole there's a whole series of conventions that you can go to. Oh, absolutely. And bands, all sorts of things. And people, and, and at least one guy actually makes a living. Oh, this is like fanfic with, um, what's the Fifty Shades of Grey started as like a yes? fanfic. Twilight. Twilight, Twilight yeah. right? Yeah. Correct. Was she, like, is that that sub, like, people... I don't, I don't think I understand. I don't understand your question, and you're looking at me like I'm a Twilight fan, <laughs> I, <laughs> which is making me nervous. I don't understand the economics of fanfic. You don't understand the well, economics of costumes and sex. I mean, right, when you put it that way, I, 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 need you to, I need you to focus here. We're talking about costumes and sex. And nerds. Right. If you want to know who makes money at a nerd convention, it's the people who have the, the corset booth, and they bring in the guy who spends all day working at a computer lab, and they go, boy, your, life, your wife looks really good in this $400 corset, but she'd look even better in this $600 one. Uh, and he goes, well, she sure would. <laughs> I'm having, 
You're Everyone who's listening works, right, right? Yeah. I, I'm having an epiphany. So, no, I mean, I, I, <laughs> one of my friends is a professional sword. Uh, technically, he's a cutler. He he takes swords and makes the handles and things like that, makes them all pretty. Okay. But he also made sheaths. So he started learning how to do leather. And he made a living selling swords to a subculture of people who sword fought and then a, a subculture off of that for people who just wanted swords. But it turns out there's another subculture of people who want things made out of leather. Yes, there is. And he was able to make a very good living making leather things and uh, vastly uh, diversify his dating pool. Yes. I bet he was. After his divorce. Yes. Right? So this is, this is, these are these interlocking. Yeah, I need you to just think of this as sex and costume convention. Sex and costume. And there's convention. a whole bunch of different kinds. Well, of that them. sounds way better. There's than a nerd whole bunch fest. of different specific types, like Comic Con or like Dragon Con or like Wicked Fair. But it's based. They're basically all sex and costume conventions. The important thing, though, is you have to keep calling it a nerd fest or a nerd con because otherwise you get people there who go, "Oh, sex and costume, I'll be there." Right. No, and no. We don't want to appropriating right. my culture. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's sex but, and costumes. So, yeah. so it's sex and costumes, but it's it's couched in comic books or it's couched in something well, the else. The important thing is it's sex and costumes for the sort of people who also go, wow, I would love to read this random book by an author I've never heard of. Right. No, so and that really is an it, important It is difference. sex and costumes, but the only people who are going to get laid are people who are really want to talk to you about that cost, that character from the book number three in the thing. And he was on that fourth panel on page four. It's true. This is that's what someone. I'm dressed, right? Like that's, so yes, if you just walk in and be like, I hear there's sex and costumes, they're going to be like, get your ass out of here. Like you're turned. So you got to like, put in the time. You got, yeah. You, you got to yeah. put, you got to put in the time. Yeah. You right. put in the sweat equity. Right. In order <laughs> to be able to reap the benefits. It, this takes of, where you, you have to actually be into the topic enough to be worth it. Cause otherwise you just spend a lot of money on a costume and travel in a hotel thinking you're going to get laid. And you're not. I had no idea this was a thing. No, you want to actually be into the thing. So what is Wicked? What's the Wicked? Well, so convention? Wicked Fair kind of fell apart, but it was, it, that was just the name of the one for a while. There's a, one much closer to home called MarsCon, which uh, MarsCon and RavenCon. RavenCon was in Richmond for a lot of years, and I think they kind of merged a couple of years back. If you get angry notes. So these are, these are largely I story regional? About, I have a story about Mike at RavenCon. Oh, oh I want to hear this. Oh, wait, so, I know the story. <laughs> so Micah was... Um, was doing he was emceeing the the auction at RavenCon and and one of our other friends was selling board games there and Micah's wife was performing and um so so I went to RavenCon for the first time with my wife and what I you know a whole bunch of us went and and we sat in on the auction and Micah's emceeing and Mike is cute and he's funny and stuff. So as he's auctioning stuff and I'm kind of like a little blushy about Micah and everything, he's auctioning something and I start bidding on it. Right. And it had something to do with Lord of the Rings. And I like Lord of the Rings, right. but I wasn't really paying that much attention to what it was. Anyway, I ended up buying these movie theater displays for Lord of the Rings that wouldn't fit in the car. They were so big. It was an entire Hobbit hole door that was big. Oh, one big, of the big things that goes the on the lobby. giant things that they put in the lobby. But it was too big. It was not only too big for my car, it was too big for the living room. We had to move it out into the sun porch because it was too tall, along with a Gandalf <laughs> that we had to like drop his head down and shorten him because he was way too tall for the seat. Like it was this whole giant thing. And my wife is like, you stupid idiot. Like what the hell are you So that thing was, yeah, anyway. so there's a whole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it also came with no instructions. There were no instructions with it. Not, there were nine. There were nine hundred thousand pieces and no instructions. So me and a bunch of my friends spent um, spent days on the internet looking at pictures from movie theaters of these displays set up, and then trying to figure out from the photos of different movie theaters how to put these things together. So this thing wasn't made to be sold. It was made as a production aid for 
cinemas. And then right. somebody took it and sold it on a secondary market. Correct. Yes. And that eventually made it to. Made its way to RavenCon where Mike had raffled it off to me because he was cute and I wasn't paying much attention. <laughs> That's hilarious. I agree. So, oh, it's interesting. Um, it's all these ecosystems, yeah. right? It's all these inter interlaced ecosystems. Yeah. So you started publishing for that ecosystem. I started publishing so I could quit saying I was going to write a book because there's a thing I read recently that I forget the author, but he said he was at the doctor a while back and his doc, and doc said, oh, you're an author. You know, I haven't thinking of writing a book someday. And so he said, so I replied, hmm, I've been thinking about taking out medicine. <laughs> and that's it. No other job do people go, oh, I, I could do that. Acting. Acting well, oh, is another one. Fair. Yeah. You're yeah. right. The, the arts often have that problem. Right. Anyone, anyone my, in the arts. My fifth grader could paint that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anything in the arts, people yeah. think I could do that. No, totally fair. <laughs> right. Right. We get a lot of, we get a lot of things where people say, you know, uh, we'd like you to play at our wedding. And uh, it'll be good exposure. Right. right? And that's great because my rent is seven exposures. <laughs> right. So, so computers, wanting to do something different with your life, going into improv, going into writing. You also took up things. So now this is starting to make more sense to me because I've also heard you like chess boxing or have tried chess boxing. Yep, I did. I'm, I'm one and one. I won the first match and I came back and I did not win the second match. And I decided I was done. To the same guy? No, no, no. The, I, I could take the first guy again. The problem was the second guy was an actual boxer who didn't know how to play chess, but he did know how to delay to the full 30 seconds for each move, so he didn't get disqualified. And it turns out, I didn't have enough time to beat him in chess, and he definitely had enough time to beat me in the ring. <laughs> right. So chess boxing, explain this, because this oh, is fascinating. The way we did it was we had a three-minute round of chess and 90 seconds of boxing, but each move had a 30-second maximum limit on it. So you couldn't just sit there and deliberate your move for the entire three minutes. You, but you could deliver, deliberate for 29 seconds, which is what the guy who was fighting the second time did. So he only had to make six moves. Right. And then he could wail on me, and he was much better at combinations than I was at not getting hit by them. And so did you lose by knockout? No, I lost by the ref going, listen, this is embarrassing for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a TKO. Yes. So, it was a so TKO. Ref, I, referee, stop it. So I had only ever heard of chess boxing from Micah, but then years after this, I was in Prague and there was a big banner hanging outside of a building inviting people to come sign up for their chess boxing league. So yeah. apparently well, it's a thing. Well, and here's the fun extra bit, which you may not have pictured in, in my second chess boxing match, because I actually just remembered this. So that was on the day of the Richmond Zombie Walk. And I wasn't going to miss that just because I was chess boxing. What's a zombie walk? The zombie walk is a thing that a friend of mine started about a decade and a half ago now, which is down in Carytown, And it's exactly what it sounds like. You dress up as zombies. And you walk. And you shamble up Carytown, And you shamble back down Carytown, And you go home. But in between, you scare everyone in the can-can. Okay. And it's great. But you lost that day? Well, so I'd been to the zombie walk first. And I didn't have time to get out of makeup. So I was, in fact, boxing dressed as a zombie. <laughs> How could you get stranger than chess boxing? Chess boxing is a zombie. Maybe you could start that one. That could be a new thing. It's much slower. And the, the chess is mainly just people knocking pieces over and hoping for the best. And you've done the goofy run at Disney? The, please, the dopey challenge. Dopey challenge. The, so the, the goofy run is one. The, the Disney has runs every year. It's the I like that you said please, like, like anyone would do. <laughs> please don't confuse those. Yeah, look, one is very prestigious. Right. So the, there's, there's four different races on four different days. There's a 5K, followed by a 10K, followed by a half marathon, followed by the marathon. And you did the... Well, and so the Dopey Challenge is signing up for all four of them, four <laughs> days back to back. 
And, and they'll Wait, a marathon, a half marathon, a 10K, a 5K. Reverse order. So you start with a 5K. Oh, yeah. And that the makes first day sense. you go, oh, that's fine. And the next day you go, okay, 10K is not too bad, but why are we getting up at 4.30 in the morning for this? And you do the half marathon and it's still all right. And by that time, it's too late to get out of the marathon. I'm tired thinking about this. I well, and I, I also stopped to go run with the hash group down in Florida. You What's a hash to, group? You have to ask me. There you go. You What's do. a hash group? All right. Big, big tangent here. So in 1938, in Kuala Lumpur, there was a man named Gispert. And he Gispert? Was, Gispert. And okay. A.S. Gispert. And Gispert was working off a hangover at the local hash house and sitting around eating greasy food and regretting his choices the night so before. So hash, hash like, like... Yes, like hash browns. Like hash browns, not... Right. Okay. Oh, okay. So he and his friends were all hungover and regretting it. And knowing they were going to do the same thing again later, he suggested they... There's a game called the Hares and the Hounds. It's an old British game, also called the Paper Chase. You send one guy out ahead, give him a head start, and you go chase him, try to find out where he went. He leaves a trail to show where he went, and then you can catch him or not. Okay. They decided to start playing this because they were going to drink more beers anyway. So at least they could have a re- they could work off some of the beer they'd already had, and they'd have an excuse to drink beer because now they've been exercising, and so it was reasonable to drink beer. And so the hash was born, and the idea is to be immature, and run around and drink beer. So you you run you run from pub to pub. Sometimes, yeah. There's usually we'll have opening circle and you'll drink beers there. The hare will go out. You give them a head start and they go lay a trail wherever they want to go. Right. And they use chalk or flour, anything biodegradable. And then oh, and they actually they actually leave a trail. Oh, absolutely. If you look around Richmond, you'll start seeing these marks. Look around any major city because the hash again starting Kuala Lumpur, but it is worldwide. And there's somebody who's running, leaving a trail, Correct. and other people so who are drinking and following. I did this for a while. Ask me why. Why? Because Micah was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> was he not selling anything? It was, no, it was just cute. And so I started, I took this up because he was doing it. And it's stupid. Oh, yeah. No, it, <laughs> it's it insane. is. It's insanely, yeah. So they, so it's, they, they drink bad beer and then you have to run for miles and follow these truck trails, which is kind of fun, except that you're jogging. Which isn't fun, and then you periodically stop and sing songs and drink more beer, and then and then the leader runs off again so and leaves a, you all there. There's a structure to it. Yes, the leader gets another head start. But so so some of them are through the middle of the city, which okay. is kind of cool, right? And so everybody's running through the middle of the city looking for these signs on the ground or on telephone poles or whatever that you know, trying to figure out which way they went. Um, and some of them are. What was the one that was like in Vietnam or something? We were like in the swamp. Oh, you must have been on a medley of mud. Yes, it was. And it was, you know, poison ivy and briars. I got a leech yep. stuck to me. You got a leech we're, we were in, in Richmond? Have you, seen, have you seen the picture, you know, the old movies of Vietnam where they're wading <laughs> through chest deep water yeah. with like their arms up over their heads holding yeah. the, it was like that, right? We're like wading through a, sw- you, through a chest deep swamp out in Sandston or something. Yeah, I we, we hit was, the Chickahominy a lot. Yeah, that's that it. It was in the Chickahominy swamp. We're wading through this thing with our arms up over our heads, trying to keep whatever stuff we had dry. And for, you know, y- yeah. Anyway, it was an experience. For fun. It was an experience. I was doing it because Micah was cute. I'm not sure why everyone else was there. <laughs> no one, no one is cute. Really chest cute. deep. <laughs> no one is cute. Chest deep with their hands up. It was, up yeah, it, it was quite the thing. And then everybody gets drunk and goes home covered in poison ivy and scratches and stuff. Oh my yeah. God. And you do this for fun. Absolutely. He does it a lot. He's got a whole bunch of badges on his jacket. So you did you did the the short run, the 10K, the half marathon, the full marathon, and then decided to add one of these? Well, no. After the half marathon, the, the Orlando Kennel, which is the chapter of the hash, was running that day. And the thing is, if you add up a half marathon, or you add up a 5K, 10K, half marathon, and full, what you get is 48.2, 48.6, whatever, 48 point something miles. 
which is not quite 50. It was very annoying to me. I was going to go to Florida, do something this stupid, and not hit 50 miles. Why? Why? Just because it's a, know, round, it's a good number. round number. Okay, yeah. That's fair. But I was like, well, and the hash is there. I can go. And the, the great thing about the hash is you can go anywhere and just go, hey, I'm in from this city. And these people will come pick you up if you need. They will take you out. They are just, they're thrilled to have this new person who's a friend they haven't met yet. And it's, it's absolutely great. I've done this in cities all over the country. And you just show up and go, hey, I don't know there you. There are so many subcultures I did not know existed. And they're wired in. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I went down, ran with them, got my numbers. I was not the only person doing the Dopey Challenge who was out there, who, who came out to the Orlando Hash that day. There was a guy from City Hash in London who was out and did the same thing. And yeah. did, you, did you guys, when you're looking at each other, do this? Well, because we, we, everyone knew because we were wearing the wristbands from all the races, too. I, don't, I, don't skip the part where then he finished the marathon and drove back from Florida to get to work in time. Right. So I don't make good choices. I just make really? bold choices. Really? I noticed choices. that. <laughs> so this was... I don't know. I didn't feel like taking Monday off of work, I guess. My plan was to go hang around, you know, finish the marathon, hang out for a couple hours afterwards, celebrate, and then drive back from Florida. And I did that, except my friends who were doing the marathon were not prepared in any way. And so they were much slower than I expected by like two hours. So I basically got to high five them at the finish line and then get in my car and go. And so I get in the car after running all this and I sit down. And I'm like, there's a good chance my leg's going to cramp up and if, I won't be able to get out of the car. That's true. I'm going to have to suffer gas at some point. I might have to learn how to use those, you know, press for assistance buttons <laughs> in the middle of South Carolina. And did your legs cramp? No, it turned out it was fine. So what I'm sensing is a common theme of just doing a bunch of different shit. Mm -hmm. just, so this all kind of goes back to do something different day. Absolutely. And your whole life is basically do something different day. Absolutely. And your career choice just happens to be a thing that you were interested in as a kid. The career choice as the big takeaway I've gotten from a lot of this is to accept opportunities when they appear. And opportunities appear all the time. And we kind of go, oh, I'm busy, or that's weird, or I don't know about that. A lot of times we don't even see them. You know, you'll, to go back to the hash. The Richmond hash has been running every Sunday since 1992. So if you've been in Richmond or any of the surrounding areas, you have seen me and my friends going by. You've heard us, we're the ones running shirtless or carrying a skull on a stick and yelling. We have whistles that carry for a mile. We are not quiet, subtle. We leave chalk marks that are there for a couple of days. And again, this goes on in every major city. This, I'm just speaking for Richmond because I'm here the most. Every time that happens, that's an invitation to anyone who sees it to go, what the heck are those people doing? And go. And, well, and go or call. Like, I often stop on the hash and people go, what are you doing? And I'll turn around. And I, there I am, shirtless and sweaty. I'm like, all right, good news. I'm about to explain to you what's happening. And some of them show up and some of them don't. Our last, last Sunday, we picked someone up. We were running around downtown. She'd run with the voodoo hash down in New Orleans a couple of times. Heard us yelling on, on, which is the, the hash call for, I know where I'm going. Everyone follow me. Right. But the, if you hear someone, if you don't know where you are, you can yell, are you? And the hash will call back on, on. She heard people yelling on, on. She yelled, are you? Hash just started yelling back at her. She dragged us over to her house and she's like, wait, you got, there's a hash in Richmond? I'm in. When I started this podcast, it was mostly to talk to people who've made a different business choice, right? right. That it was some sort of calculated move. My life, I've gotten to a certain place. I'd like to pivot and figure out how to make uh, more money. And usually, and I, I, I end with a question I'm going to ask you, right? What would you tell those people about doing this? But I think you just said it. I thought I was going to talk to somebody who's made, who have made logical, interesting career choices. But you've just made, you're just trying to live life as full as you can. I had a, a teacher in college who said, you know, the, the thing these days with marriage is people get married for love and then they try to figure out the finances as it goes along. And if you look at medieval Europe, 
they got married for finances and then tried to figure out love as it went along. And he goes, and when you stop and think about it, a lot of marriages fall, fall apart. The love doesn't last because the finances don't come together. If you've got good, solid finances, I think you can find the love where you need to. And there's a lot. It's a cynical viewpoint, but there's a lot to be said for it. But that's how you're living your life. My finances are solid, and now I can do what I want. And you're just trying to find things that are fun to do. Absolutely. That is really kind of, that's really kind of profound. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't set out to do that. I did not. Not in the least. So the question that I ask everyone to end with is, you know, if there's people out there who are thinking about making a change, what would you tell them? Or if you could talk to your younger self, what would you say? And is that what you would say? Is that there's, there's these opportunities? Just fucking do it? Absolutely. Listen for opportunities. And especially when you feel scared, when you go, what if it goes wrong? That's the best time to do it because what if it doesn't? One of the, one of the guys I just talked to, Sterling Hundley, who's an artist, he said the same thing. He said, when you're scared, run towards it. Absolutely. Go as fast as you possibly can towards it. And then you'll end up, he called it the, the clearing. He said, eventually you get to a place where no one else is gone because it's scary. Yeah. And then you're all by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. I didn't know you were all profound like that. <laughs> it's only because of the good questioning that we got there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any good questioning. So I got one other, I got one other question. And then this is what we end with. If, um, so imagine that uh, there's, you know, eight people listening to this and, Maybe they've thought, I, I'm, I'm not digging my life. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that I may be in a rut. I know that people say you should just do this, and I know I should be brave, and I know, right, there's, there's books and all this shit. It's all, it's all around. Right. Everyone says these things, but are you different than that person? Like, is there something in you that they don't have? Like, can anybody find love after they've got their finances? Absolutely. It's, as with all things, start small. Start with a small opportunity. One of the weird, do something different days, I decided to follow the signs that are all around us. There's all sorts of, especially advertising, telling us to do things that we ignore because it's stupid. It says, call this number and give us your feedback. Follow this truck to savings. And I just did that for a day. (laughs) And I was real lost and I annoyed a lot of poor minimum wage people on the phone. But it was fun and interesting and weird and scary because now I'm just talking to strangers who don't know why I'm there. But you start with something small and unimportant like that because the worst way that can go wrong is that you get embarrassed right, by someone you didn't ever see before and won't ever see again. And once you realize that's okay, you can start doing bigger and weirder things. That's really pretty cool. No, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Just do, one, just do one thing different. And you just did it one day a week. Yeah. And for the rest of the week, did you just do your normal shit? Absolutely. But one day... You were going to go outside your comfort zone. Right. One day I was required to. The rest of it fell into place. I think we're going to end there, actually. I don't know that we can get any more profound than that. I like it. Micah, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for having me in. This was way more profound than I thought it was going to be. I just thought you were going to be a cool person. I didn't think that I was going to have a new... (laughs) You thought you were just going to hear about, like, running and drinking beer and costume sex. (laughs) I really didn't think about it in that way, but that sounds pretty good. Running, drinking beer and costume sex. It's not a bad life, I suppose. This too can be you. And scene. So I broke the cardinal rule, which is you're never supposed to stop recording uh, when you stop because you never know when the conversation is going to keep going. And you just said, both of you said something that is important because we were talking about doing things in order to make money, turning your hobbies into money. And you said that that was a bad idea. Well, I think if your hobby becomes a thing that makes money, that's great. But if you set out to monetize your hobby, you run the risk of taking away everything you enjoy about the hobby, which is it's what you do in your spare time 
and you can do it or not as you choose. Right. And you said that you won't write professionally. Yes. So I was a professional. I was I was a newspaper writer um, and editor for, geez, almost 20 years. Yeah. And then I went, I'm never doing this again. I'm not writing. I'm not writing professionally like you cannot. I'm not taking a job where I'm writing. Um, So but I do, in fact, take freelance money to write. So I take freelance money to write occasionally blog articles and I ghostwrite things for with other people's names on them and stuff. If they offer me enough money, I do it. But I hate it. I hate it. I hate that blank piece of paper staring. It's a computer screen now, but I hate that blank page staring at me. You have to write because somebody is paying you to do it. And this is your job. Think. Think of something. Oh, my God. Think of something. No, that wasn't good. Think of something else. I hate that. But the reason so the reason I turn this back on is because I've been wrong. Right. This whole podcast, I started with the idea Uh you could. That that would that it was uh, a valuable thing to be able to take your spare time and make money doing it. That was the Did whole Mike idea. Just totally blow your entire life theory out of the water. No, but it's a but it's important caveat. <laughs> okay, it's an important caveat because you can, right? You absolutely can do that, and oh, that's right. the current narrative. The current narrative is that you should, right? That you should monetize your house. That it's no good doing a thing if you can't make money at it. If you can't be good at it. Yeah, and that is, look, I like capitalism. I'm a fan of capitalism in certain broad strokes. It's clearly failing in a lot of ways, but in general, I think it's a pretty solid way to go. That said, the big draw of capitalism is that at the end, you get to quit doing it. You get to retire. <laughs> you make enough money to get yeah, to, yeah. yeah. You get out of the system. Right. And you were talking, you, you also make board games. Yeah. And you don't monetize that. No, the board games I make are for my use and my friend's use. And the process you have to go through to refine and test, I have several friends in town who make board games and have published several of them, and they're great. But I've helped them play test them, and I've seen what's changed. One of the guys put out a game. He sold the idea of the game to a company who bought it from him, and then after buying it said, hey, we like everything about it, except we think there should be a rock, paper, scissors mechanic added on top of everything else. And his only option was to basically go, okay. And so now there's a game out there with his name on it that plays in a way he doesn't agree with. Because he, because he had to make some changes to accommodate whatever the thing was. Correct. And it's, you're giving away your name. I mean, it's the same way that Stan Lee lost control of his name in the 90s. He sold his name to a website, which, and then ended up no longer being able to call to call himself Stan Lee professionally for a number of years, basically. No shit, I didn't know that. I, I'd have to get into the details. I'm fuzzy on it. But yeah, there was Stanley.com was a thing during the dot-com boom. And when it went under, he lost the rights to Stan Lee for a while. So this is just a quick prologue, which is, Don't I was wrong. Don't monetize the thing you love if your only goal was to make money doing the thing you love. Or your name, if you want anyone to know who you or are. Or if you want to be Stan Lee. Because yeah, your, your story is not a story about somebody who's, who set out to take their hobbies and make money. Your story is one about somebody who had financial stability and then decided to live so, your life. So I'm Absolutely. so I'm with Micah, and I'm actually in the same position as Micah, except that I'm not as interesting in my hobbies. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so part of the story is – part of the moral of this story is to be upper middle class. Right. Like yeah. that, I mean, like, you, you need to goal. caveat with goal. that, right? Like, a lot of the story is to have – is to – have been Gen X at the point at which you could still get a full-time job with benefits and all the thing and work your way up the ladder and have 
a reasonable income coming in and, you know, and then have enough disposable income right. to do the things you want to do. That's that's part of the moral of the story. Right. Step, and and there's no way around that. Step one, be born into a family who right. picked a good school district. Right. I mean, right. The, the absolute, I didn't yeah. start Silver Spoon. But I started, you know, we, bronze we both, spoon. We both started fairly, right. very solidly middle class. Exactly. Let's be clear, you have your own China pattern, your yeah. family China pattern. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, I mean, we and I know Micah's family, we both grew up in those families. We, we both started off solidly well off. And, you know, so that helps everything. Oh, right? Very much. Yeah. yeah. And that is well worth noting on this. Yeah. Anyone can do it. Yeah. So, we, so, Micah, so Micah uses his free time to develop new hobbies like writing books and. Because you can. Because right. Because I can. have free time. I, you, I am in a similar situation where I've got enough income and enough not having to worry about money. I'm using my free time right now to go travel around the world and stuff. And you're like, just do what you love. I mean, it's easy when you've got money to not. Yeah. Right. If you, if you, because you essentially have more money than you do time you don't need you don't need all your time to be spent in the pursuit of more money right correct you have enough money yes to be part, able but now the good news about part of the moral of the story if you're talking to college students some of them are and recent graduates part of the moral of the story is to just get older because the money starts coming in a lot faster as you get older well and it, and to like i was saying to if you hit the money first and get to the hobbies later yeah the risk of that my grandfather Retired a multimillionaire after running his own tool and mold company. And he retired in his 50s with more money than he could ever spend, which was great for him. But he did that by working tirelessly at his factory from his late 20s until he retired in his 50s. He had three children who his wife raised. He saw his family 30 years into the family existence. And yeah, and then he spent his the next 40 years of his life drinking wine and touring and doing everything he wanted to do. But that's a hefty trade to make. Yeah. My, one of my heroes, a guy named Mike Rowe, he did the, he did the show Dirty Dirty Jobs. Jobs, But he has his, he is 100% and has gone on record a hundred times about that follow your dreams is the worst advice you could ever give anyone. That Mm -hmm. what you want, he said, because he he tells a story and I just love the story that there was a guy who was able to make a living selling pig shit. Right. So pigs, there are pigs and pig shit. And then there are giant pools of pig shit. But it turns out there's a secondary market for that fertilizer. So he became a pig shit marketer. And he said, no one ever woke up one day and said, you know what I want? You know what my dream is? (laughs) I want to be, I want to sell pig shit. Like that's not, but that is, you talk about something that makes a difference in the world. This is a product that is otherwise poison and it turns it into something. That's good. And he makes money. He makes a living doing that. He said, so what you, he, essentially his point is your point. Divorce, divorce joy from money for a moment. So, you know, my dad always says they call it work and they pay you to show up. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You don't, you know, you don't want to hate your job, but your job does not, and really probably shouldn't be your reason for existence and the thing you love most in the world. Like the idea that, that you are supposed to get all of your fulfillment from your profession is a luxury most of us don't have. Right. Right. Like, you know, my job's fine. I like my job just fine. It's fine. That's not where my joy and fulfillment come from. And if you find a thing you like doing, you don't have to make money at it. You can and you can still do it, though. Oh, absolutely. And if you make I forget the guy's name, but the guy who wrote The Martian was doing the same way. I am. he was putting up a serial, writing online. Someone found it. They went, this is great. We'd like to pay you ungodly amounts of money and turn this into a major motion picture. Right. And he went, "Okay, thanks. 
if you get that opportunity, sure, great. Don't turn that down. But he was right in the story because he wanted to. So I just wanted that on the record because, <laughs> no, because that's really important. Step one, be born well. Be born well. Yeah. Yes. But you don't have to you don't have to work yourself into the ground for 25 years and, yeah. and become a multimillionaire, right? Like just there's a balance or something well, by nature of getting older, right? If you, if you have a job by nature of getting older, the, the money starts increasing little by little every year. So you, you just, you know, working the same job when you're 45, you are making more money than you were making at that job at 25, right? You, right. The, you, you make a little more over time. So you do in fact start getting paid more, in your 40s than you did in your 20s. Right. So the advice, so is this, the question I ask everyone is if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something or if somebody's in it, the true answer is if I could go back in time and tell my 20-year-old self to put $20 away a week. Mm-hmm. That's oh, about, sure. That's exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. that. And I would, I would like follow, my old self would follow my young self around and keep hitting me. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no. Just put the coffee down. Just one fucking coffee. My my old self would tell my younger self to reconsider that purchase of the Hobbit door and the movie theaters. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna go back and talk to her, her younger self. And go bid again. <laughs> Just one no, more. No, in in the same way of Micah's thing about say yes to the opportunities. I've I, I actually picked up a lot of that from Micah, where you should say yes to things. You should yeah. just be like, well, hey, you got yeah. that from improv. Or did you do that before? Improv made me a lot more of who I already was. Okay, that's good. All right, we're probably, this is probably going to just trail off. But see, that's, that's why you never turn the fucking cameras on. <laughs> and scene. Visit reinventionpodcast.com for transcripts and other free resources.